1 p.m. on the East Coast, deck 13. That would be Zed, as you know, Dan. Zed's dead, but it is his <laughs> chopper. Guy Dami, Dan Nathan, and Carter Braxtonworth is waiting in the wings. Wait to see his getup. He has a tie on, which either means one of two things. He's got a business lunch, or he plans to be on CNBC's Fast Money later today. How are you, Dan? I'm doing great. You know, so Deck 18 guy has... Um as an important meaning out there in the world here, because uh, there's one Taylor Swift that I believe was born on December uh, 13, 2000. It's and, or nine, oh, excuse me. No, no. Oh, I had deck. Oh man. I had deck 18 in my mind because we were just talking about somebody's birthday on deck 18. Brad Pitt was born on December 18th. Okay, 1963. Yeah. He is going to be 60 years. Can we get some eyes on this guy? Because he looks amazing for a soon-to-be 60-year-old guy. But but deck 13 is what you said. Deck 13, that's today, right? That's today. I believe this is Taylor Swift's birthday. She was born in 1989. It's uh -huh. one of the reasons why her album from about 10 years ago was called 1989. Okay, that's the one that had Shake It Off on it. You remember that sure. one, right? That's my favorite and then song. One of the reasons that all these Swifties love the number 13 because it's Taylor's favorite number because she was born on the 13th. How about that? And I know it's such some, things. It's unbelievable. I, I know I, such I, things. I, I tell you, it's like the stuff you learn. I'm, I consider myself a Swifty. I'm one of the original Swifties, as <laughs> you know. I was talking about her back in the day. And, and listen, yeah. I know she's watching right now, so happy birthday, Taylor. Uh, you know who else is watching? Igor Shosturkin, who's got to be, I got to tell you, the last couple of weeks, Oof. some problems Oof. in the pipes uh, for the Rangers. They'll figure it out. But that's that, Dan Nathan. Let's take a look at today's rundown because – we got a few things. Markets, markets breaking out. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, aerosol because it's breaking out. Carter's going to chart some semis. By the way, he's done a great job there. I think you're going to be surprised uh, what he thinks is going to continue or will happen from here. And then we're going to take a look at Pfizer, which is making, I believe, a 10-year low today, if I'm not mistaken. We're yeah. going to take a look at that. Dan's got a trade in the PFE. Yeah, I do. And the options in the PFE. So we'll hit all that. All right, guy, in about an hour or so, yeah. um, Fed Chair Powell is going to emerge. Is Love there going to be some like his smoke, smoke coming out from some like, uh, you know, thing or something like that? He's going to come out and he's going to have, we're going to figure out how thick his like uh, briefcase is or not. Remember that you used to love that, right? With the, the former Fed Chair, like they, there's all these, you know, kind of folks, you know, pundits yeah. used to say, oh, yeah. well, you know, if he's got a thick one, you know what that means. Yeah. Um, so here we are. Um, you know, you see the headlines. Uh, you know, we have a 10-year treasury yield at 4.15 or so. Fed's not ready to speculate on rate cuts yet. That's the thing that everyone's going to be kind of looking for, right, to kind of get a sense for whether it's going to be in March is where Fed funds right now is projecting that we get our first 25 basis point cut, which would be pretty fascinating because it would be two years basically to the day, right, um, in 2022 mm -hmm. when they started raising or so. The pause came in July. Um, so talk to me a little bit like what you're expecting. I think we started the week off in Market Call Guy on Monday saying that if we have a, you know, a benign CPI, a benign PPI, we have a Fed meeting that doesn't, you know, kind of, you know, I don't know, doesn't kind of shake anybody's, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to keep keep melting higher here, right? I mean, yeah. that's not something that you and I agree with, but it makes sense for me. It makes sense. Through that lens, it makes sense. You know, you said a benign, yeah, I guess it was benign. I, you know, I will tell you, and Elizabeth Young talks about this, 
the one metric they seemingly are concerned about or the ones they seemingly talk about all the time, the super core is actually uh, starting to reaccelerate to the upside. So hey, listen, I guess my point is this, there, the, depending on your dogma, the numbers can be what they want you want them to be. You know, if you think uh, we're in this sort of uh, soft landing camp, you can make the numbers sort of define that narrative and back that narrative up. If you think there's a reacceleration, the numbers just sort of speak to that. The question that I would ask is, again, and I think a lot, a lot of people's radar, given what's going on, you know, given the strength of the market, uh, that last jobs report, it doesn't necessarily behoove him being Jerome Powell to be particularly dovish, I don't think. But, yeah. you know, he's also somebody that said for quite some time, you know, we're going to sort of rely on the data. We'll see what happens. I mean, I don't think it's the statement that's going to move anything. It's the Q&A afterwards, yep. which typically there's always one or two questions that create some sort of event. And then we'll see how it plays out from there. Yeah. And again, you know, so when we talk about what what the, the pain trade is, it's the melt up. It's the people chasing the people who've been underinvested, the people who've been bearish like you and I for a whole host of reasons. When we think about, you know, we have a Dixie at 104. We have crude at 69 and a half. We have a 10 year at 415, um, you know, but there's a whole host of other things. You know, you could pick at any of those numbers that we've seen over the last week or so, including that jobs report from Friday. And you can see say to your point, it really doesn't behoove the Fed to let you know financial conditions get too much looser because the last thing I think they want is a melt up in risk assets because I think it makes their job a lot harder, right? And so, I don't know, that's my two cents here. Um, you know, guys, it, it's also, we've been spending a lot of time over the last couple of weeks about a lot of strategists and their S&P 500 targets and, and the like here. It's also one of those things where a lot of um, analysts, um, a lot of sector um, specialists are kind of naming their top picks, you mm -hmm. know what I mean, for the next year. We've heard a bunch of NVIDIA. We've heard a lot of the stuff, Guy, that has gotten us here in 2023, gotten us through, I think, a lot of headwinds. I thought this one was kind of interesting. Um, this is on Microsoft here. Uh, Truist put a $600 price target on this thing. It's a trading at $374. Let's slap that thing up there for a second. And again, you know, this stock had a massive run right off of a level. I think it was down 15% from its July highs to its October lows and, and, you know, bounced off that moving average and broke out to a new high. It's checked back to that sort of thing. But, you know, when you see those sorts of targets being put on big stocks, like the second largest market cap stock in the market here in the U.S., you say to yourself, okay, well, you're trying to get attention. You got it. He definitely got attention. I don't know if that's a target for 24 or 25. I guess it doesn't necessarily matter. I mean, you think about a $600 price target, more than a 50% upside from here, and then you start doing the math, and you're going to talk about a Microsoft, which potentially has, and maybe it deservedly so, will be the biggest company in the history of mankind just on that price target alone. So we'll see. But I will tell you, you know, I'm enamored by the charts, Dan. We have some wonderful charts, and I'm looking at the bottom right as I stare at the screen. Fact set charts. I mean, that's what we use. Oh, oh, by the way, we get asked all the time, you know, how do you guys come up with the graphics that you use, right, for the market call, the stuff that you rely on for the research that you do, all the quotes and, and all the data and all that sort of stuff. Well, there it is, peoplefactset.com slash LP slash market, M-R-K-T slash call, and you can do a free trial there. And the other thing, if we want to go back to that chart for a second. I know, Guy, we mentioned it yesterday. I mean, you've been using um, street accounts, as I have been, for a very, very long time. And if you're just one of those folks who likes to try 
track the market intraday. You don't have time to kind of, you know, um, you're off maybe Twitter. You're not using FinTwit anymore. Uh, Street Accounts is a great aggregator of everything that's going on in the markets. And then if you're one of those folks who likes a lot of technical stuff, you like the fundamental stuff, everything else on the um, on the fact set system is what we use there. So check that out. Do a trial there, people. Um, yeah, so guys, I mean, listen, again, it, whether it's 2024 or 2025, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I said this after that OpenAI thing went down and it looked like Microsoft was going to take that whole team in, but then they mm-hmm. actually got a lot more, you know, maybe more governance, more control over the situation with Sam Altman and the team going back. I said a couple of weeks ago, I think that this, what happens next is that Microsoft overtakes Apple in market cap terms and might, might, might never look back. And I mean that sincerely because the way Apple is positioned for the future, they have a lot of iterative products as you think about their core business and the like and services is great and it's growing and they have a two billion installed base and all that sort of stuff um and it's a higher margin on the services and and, and great 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 but until they have a breakthrough with something in spatial computing maybe it's that um you know that vision pro maybe it's some generative ai thing that they haven't introduced yet and we don't know about yet but it's not here yet and what microsoft is clearly focused on is the is the thing that everybody you know whether it be consumers whether it be enterprise are really focused on and they have pieces to do what they need to do there. So whatever that's worth, if you want to justify this thing at 33 times, um, you know, like this is the one to probably focus on a little bit, guys. Does that make some yeah, sense? Yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, the concern around Microsoft, and so people understand, we were talking about Microsoft years before it became sort of mainstream and everybody seemingly got on the back of it. You know, we pointed out that Microsoft was probably one of the five, if not three most important companies in the world. And I'll say this, much to the chagrin, I'm sure, of a lot of people watching or listening, you can live without Apple products. I mean, it might suck, but you can absolutely do it. The reality is, in today's world, it's very hard to go through a day without uh, the utilization, whether you realize it or not, of Microsoft products. So there is a moat around Microsoft. And if you ask me who is more deserving of a premium valuation, Microsoft or Apple, I think the answer is Microsoft. Well, and, and all right. So that's a really great way to set that up. And it leads us to Alphabet, which is Google. And, you know, um, I had a great conversation with Deirdre Bosa on the OK Computer podcast that dropped today in your podcast stores, people. So go um, check that out. But we were talking about expectations with Google heading into this year. You know, ChatGPT4 was just introduced and it really didn't get people excited in the stock market until Microsoft. Microsoft made that $10 billion investment. They had already invested a couple billion or so. And it was really that that got people excited. And if you go look at the volatility in January and February, right, Scott, uh, guy of that, you know, you see that they had this kind of really this launch of Bard, which was their LLM um, that did not go particularly well. And it was kind of in the doghouse for a couple months. But since then, it's kind of taken off. Now, that gap guy in late October, that had to do with cloud growth, right? Mm-hmm. And so Microsoft's cloud is doing better because they have all these, you know, AI sort of tools that people can go there and they can use and they're going to get increased usage and the like there. Um, the stock came back. Then they had last week, they had this announcement of Gemini, which is um, a, a, another set of AI tools. And it didn't go, I mean, if initially people thought it went really well. Filled in that entire gap there, guy. But here's a stock that's trading at, but 20 times next year, expected to grow earnings 15% on sales growth, very similar, about 12 and a half, 13% or so. You'd say this stock trades really well, and they haven't had too many hits as it relates, in my opinion, in AI. When I mean hits, I mean the sorts of things that people want to get behind. And the stock's up 50% of the year, very similar to what Microsoft is. It's just a lot cheaper. So I think JP Morgan bumping the price target, thinking about what they can do as it relates to AI and the integration of their products. You cannot go a day 
for the most part and not use an Alphabet or a Google product. And so to me, this one looks more interesting because the sentiment, in my opinion, is just worse. Agreed. And evaluation is actually something, you know, given what other companies are seemingly get rewarded with, yeah. you can make a very compelling case for Google here. Without question, this pennant formation, look, the moving average becomes the trend line, uh, sloping higher. We've tested it a couple times and have held. You know, I think we're going to continue to get in this more and more narrow of a range, and then it's going to break one way or the other. So I don't know what the catalyst is going to be for either side. I think the catalyst for the downside is probably a downdraft in the broader market. Maybe the upside is another type of price target raise from another analyst. But I think what you're going to wind up seeing is this range. You know, you continue to see, obviously, this stock trade in this uh, seemingly more and more narrow pennant formation. We're right in the middle, if you think about it, of the downdraft from October, as you pointed out. And I think that's going to continue, at least for the foreseeable future. When I say foreseeable future, probably through the end of the month. Yeah. And the last point I'll just make is that, you know, expected similar growth earnings and sales um, for both of these two companies, one trades at 33 times, the other trades at 20, you know, the, the existing year, the current year. So again, well, you know, what? I have an idea. Why don't we have someone come in and help us make some sense of those two? Maybe they want do we to have, play. Do we have somebody? We have Carter Braxton Worth no. of Worth Guarding. No. Yeah, 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 we do. There, look at there that. he is. Look at that. Look at, look at that. that tie. He's got looks, the beard going. My he, God. Man. So you can help us do two things. I know that you don't care much about, as you call them, the funny mentals as we're no. thinking about. And then again, a lot of folks, you know, are kind of parsing these sorts of product launches mm -hmm. and, and the implication on margins and the like and all that sort of stuff. But they also use the technicals as a really important input. You start with the technicals. You kind of end with the technicals a little bit. Maybe we can flash up the Microsoft and the Alphabet um, one by one, Carter, and just, we're not asking you to make a pick here, but if, you know, like, you know, absolute, is there one that you um, prefer over the other as we head into the new year? And again, both are up about 50% of the year and both, you know, look, they're acting fairly similar. Google, by the way, is well off its all-time highs where Microsoft is, is, you know, kind of flirting with them. <laughs> Right. I mean, if if just sticking with relative strength, which, you know, there are factors, momentum is a powerful factor, relative strength is a powerful factor. Uh, we, we always want to try to, all things held equal, favor uh, relative performance, relative strength. And so uh, Microsoft would get the nod in the sense that Microsoft has uh, gone above its July high. It is exhibiting uh, characteristics that are better than, than Google. Um, Google is sitting there. Uh, let's, let's do the other one. The other chart, it's sitting there. Uh, I'm not saying Google, wrong thing. Uh, uh, Alphabet, or it's just churning, right? It has no, yeah. it has no character day to day. It has also that very heavy volume drop and gap uh, of November. Then it did pop uh, news related, I guess, three four days ago, but it gave it back. This is more of a pair of twos uh, to my eye. It's interesting, Carter. I mean, you know, pair of twos. I agree, and as I was saying, I think we're probably saying the same thing different ways. You know, I thought we were in this sort of pennant formation, it's going to sort of reconcile itself one way or another and just let the market decide for you. So I, I tend to agree with you, but something that you've been on the back of and correct, and it's part of your note today, the performance of the semiconductors has been remarkable in a word. So let's take a look at it because you brought some charts along with you. Right. So if you think of semis, semis have the peak in, in July, semis have the low in October, and semis sell off some 15, 16% versus the market, 10, 11 Right, so there's a lot of beta to this group, but this group has clearly cleared to more a bigger extent than the S and P. It's uh, peak of its intermediate high of July. But the real thing, interesting, is that 
on a six-month basis, right, so mid-June to mid-December, semis are underperforming the SPX, semis are underperforming the QQQ, and semis are underperforming the XLK, uh, the tech sector. And this recent bit of strength starts to maybe put a bit of an edge on the relative chart. But let's look at these absolute charts first. No lines, no drawings. Let's put some in. Uh, one way to draw the lines, uh, calling to attention the obviously mm-hmm. well-defined bottom of the June-December period, uh, essentially a year ago. Uh, next iteration, uh, a very well-defined formation, which is to say you approach a former high, you back away from it, but the backing away is shallow. Then you reapproach it, then you exceed it with sequencing. Or this way. Uh, now, if we look at this, we know that we broke out, we checked back, and then we've reasserted ourselves. If we take this annotation and put it on the very long-term chart, the SOX index itself goes back to 1994. And so one could say, but my gosh, isn't it so far above its dot-com peak? Isn't this just another bubble? The next two charts, the next three charts will reveal, in fact, how poorly semis have done since 2000. So this is a ratio chart. This is the relative performance of semis to the NASDAQ. Semis peaked in 1995. And I've written there in green, much catch-up potential remains, meaning uh, they've been outperforming since 2015-16. But just think, if one wants to even contemplate getting back to all-time relative highs, how much room they might have to run. Now, this is versus the NASDAQ. Look versus the tech sector. Uh, Same thing. The peak in performance um, was 1995. And then even to the S&P final chart, I mean, we have yet to recoup all of the relative losses associated with the dot-com explosion. Um, so why not? Uh, semis, uh, they, they're, they're not that big an area of the market. All semis in the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index add up to about 3.8, 3.9 trillion. Apple is 3.1. Mm-hmm. And NVIDIA is almost 30% of the whole. So, you know, there are a lot of smaller stocks in here. I just think as an, as an area of the market, Having underperformed for the past six months, this recent life would suggest that they're going to have uh, a bit uh, a bit more outperformance uh, or a relative performance ahead. Let me ask so, a quick Carter, question, um, Dan, real quick. To me. So if you had asked me this, I would, there was no way I was going to get this correct. I would have, <laughs> I, you know, I would have been way off in terms of its relative underperformance. But this is the chart that is catching my eye um, in terms of what it means potentially for the broader market. So. Is there a scenario where the S&P could be sideways to lower, yet the semis continue uh, their relative strength and then sort of outperform everything? Um, right. Or, uh, sort of, I, you know. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like, how could that be? You know, one, there's such an important part. But if we look at semis to the other two, go back maybe one or two, um, uh, semis relative, let's take to the mm-hmm. tech sector. I mean, right. Why couldn't, or better, due to the cues? Right, which is now we're getting into Amazon and Apple and, and and whatever it is, Tesla. Why couldn't the Qs, which are the most sort of loved and embraced, why can't semis outperform the Qs independent of what the market does? Right. Yeah. Hey, Carter, but let, let's pull up. We have an S and P chart, and, and again, um, if you were to take the high in uh, January twenty twenty two, or maybe just pull up a five year of the S and P people. Um, do you see, forget the relative, okay? I'm just saying, like, doesn't the SPX look fairly similar to what you just kind of mapped out in the SMH in a way? Now, it hasn't broken out yet. Well, that's the difference, right? So that okay. this formation, the sequencing is the same, but we're not at the high, right? And we know that the, the equoid S&B doesn't look anything like that. So, But the semis have taken out 
yeah. right? Taking out the high. So that makes it a bit more. So, so my question to you is you can play the continued momentum that you think might exist in the semis and you don't have to be bullish of the spy or the SPX the same way. Is is that kind of what I'm Hard, you know, harder to make that case? Cause one could say there's a high correlation. And if you know, semis yeah. are going to go higher, tech's going to go higher, tech's going to higher, the market's going to go higher mm-hmm. and vice versa. But um, I, I think there is a case to be made just, semis on their own uh relative to the market on its own yeah. semi or to queues because queues have the big apple obviously microsoft yep. right. yeah so that's so quick dan because I, I know we got other things but that's why i asked the question because i'm just trying to sort of reconcile this work with sort of where my head is at and i guess there's a scenario where the semis sort of go sideways to slightly higher but you see a sell-off maybe and some of these other mega cap names, X semis, which would then sort of obviously in terms of relative help Carter's charts to come to fruition. So that, I just want to throw that out there just in terms of how my mind is working. Yeah, no, it, it's I mean, listen, I, I'm struggling right now, Carter. I see what you see. Like I, you know, there was a time when I was far more trading oriented that had more to do with some of the factors that you're talking about. Right. And now my mind has just been infected with so much macro, so much mm-hmm. single stock sort of stuff. And I used to love to play uh, breakouts like the ones you just depicted, you know what I mean? In the SMH mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, I don't have that sort of time horizon anymore. You know, that's the sort of thing. If you caught that sort of breakout and let's say Taiwan Semi, which is the second largest holding in the SMH, right? Um, and NVIDIA gets back to its highs. You're going to have, you know, another five, 6% or so in the SMH, but you better know when to pull the plug, right? Because right. you're going to have a check back at some point to that uptrend. And then we'll see what happens there. So, like I get all that. I'm just I'm having a hard time. I know that you have clients who want exactly this. They want the momentum plays, right? They want to see the relative strength. Well, growth managers do value guys don't want that. They want the thing to be going down into the right, like an Alcoa. Right. It yeah. just depends on what your mandate is. Each player yeah. has their own. No, well, but listen, I mean, we don't have to agree with each other. It's like I'm saying to you, I see your work. I get it. It makes perfect sense. It all depends where you sit in the market right now. Right. Um, I'm having a hard time jumping on board. Listen, Carter, we appreciate you coming on on a Wednesday. We appreciate you breaking in. We're going to see you tonight on Fast Money with Guy and me on the set. We'll see you there soon. Bye, guys. All right, man. Thanks I so love, much. I love W. I you know. know. Well, you know what's funny? You and I were both chomping at the bit to get in, in into that one. Well, because, because I'm trying to figure out, like, yeah. you know, because I always go into the assumption, and most of the time, correct assumption that Carter's work is going to prove, you know, going to prove valid, right? There, it's yeah. going to have the. So, if that's the case, how do I, with the way I'm thinking of things, you know, how do I reconcile that? How do I back into it? So, if semis are going to un- outperform the way he indicates they are. Is it going to be just on a semi basis or could it happen vis-a-vis a sell-off in some of the things X semis, which would take the broader market lower and potentially take the rest of technology lower, but have semis hang in there. So anyway, that's why I tried to bring up that question. I think you were sort of bringing up the same type of thing. Yeah. And listen, you know, I'll just say this guy, you and I and our team over here have given a lot of thought to, you know, some of the things that we do on a daily basis and, um, you know, like the sort of ideas we want to talk about um, on a single name basis, on a sector basis, on a macro basis, on an index, you know, like all that sort of stuff. And I think, you know, Mel asked you on Fast Money and she just didn't get a chance to get to me. You know, we were talking the other night and we were talking about a market that's up again and, and for all these sorts of reasons. And I, you know, 
she's like, when are you gonna change your mind? And she could have been asking me the same question. And like, I'm not kind of ready to do that, you know, because sometimes it's some year end, you know, goofiness and, and new year sort of goofiness. And we got to see what, you know, how things are, are going to basically play out from the macro standpoint. We're going to get a lot more color, I think today. Um, you know, I suspect we're going to get color today about when we're going to see a move. I think guy, don't you think in the dots and, and, and where people are getting sol- solidly more comfortable where the rate hikes are cuts, excuse me, are going to happen. And then people are going to start rebalancing their portfolios. You know what I mean? Like, like that's just kind of how it works or rethinking about thesis or whatever. So to me, I'm not ready to do that yet, guy, but I'm telling you, I'm ready to throw in the towel from the standpoint from a broader market perspective, because it feels like it just wants to melt up right here. No, I get it. Listen, and she asked me the question and my answer was in no time soon. And I, you know, it's not because I'm trying to dig my heels in. And my answer was, the things that concern me are long cycle things that don't change on a dime. And I rattled a few of them off. And, yeah. you know, the, the things that are concerned me, I mean, factually, they're true. They have not, for whatever reason, made their way into the stock market yet, which obviously has confounded and confused me a great deal. But it's those things are not going to repair themselves. Like there has to be some. Um, there has to be some event that sort of all these things get reconciled to. So we'll see. I mean, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of things out there to be concerned about. The S&P 500 clearly masks them all and, you know, takes people, I want to say, eye off the ball. So I but I totally understand why people get frustrated with me. And I, I'm very respectful of that. So I well, get. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I, I brought this up because. You know, they, I, I think I'm far more disliked uh, from the CNBC Fast Money audience um, than you. And and most people are geared long. I think traders understand our mentality um, a bit. I think a lot of folks who know us know that we're not um, uh, likely to be in the consensus for too long if we are. And I I believe one of the reasons that, you know, we show up every day here on Risk Social Media or, or in Fast Money is like, I think, you know, understanding the opposing argument to the position that you're in, whether it be from a macro standpoint or a single name standpoint or whatever, is really important. So, you know, again, I say this again and again, we're not your hedge fund manager, your broker, your RAA or anything like that. I mean, hopefully our content, you know, right or wrong is is useful because we definitely give it a lot of thought. And the last thing I was going to say is we think about 2024 guy, you know, one of the things that, okay, maybe, maybe we can be less, you know, um, we can have less bold predictions about the the broad markets and, and this and that or whatever, and focus on more longs and shorts both yeah. ways, no matter what's going on. And so, you know, that's something that we'll think about um, as we kind of get into 2024. Um, I wanted to hit you on a name, you know, you you, um, you know a lot about the pharma sector um, in general. Um, I know it's a, an area you covered for a long time. You um, have been very clear about the stuff that's been winning this year, and it's been a handful. It's a lot of these GLP-1s, these weight loss, the diabetic drugs and that sort of thing. And it's like a real haves and a have not. When you saw the headlines today, maybe these guys could flash it up in Pfizer. Um, you know, they just they just slashed the heck out of 2024 mm-hmm. estimates here. Um, you see what's gone on here, right? Uh, over the last, let's call it um, that 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 is a 20 year chart, yeah. guy, a, a log chart. So you see this seven eight percent gap. I think we were down nine and a half percent gap on that on that cut. And maybe they have the headlines of what they cut to. I mean, there's a pretty severe 30 percent EPS cut for 2024. Um, you know, I think a lot of analysts, a lot of investors, had been expecting this. So here we are. We're flirting with that COVID low. We know what happened after COVID with Pfizer. 
thoughts here, technically, fundamentally, the whole shebang here, bud. Like, what, 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 are, what are you thinking um, on this name? And, and yeah, and I- well, well, let's pull that prior chart up. Actually, if you want to scroll through this, that's fine. But the chart, I think, you know, the, a picture is worth a thousand words. And we're at a ten-year low here. So yeah, the, I mean, I understand the COVID low, but let's just sort of call a spade a spade. And you know, we effectively haven't been here in the last decade. And this is off a pretty precipitous drop that we've been seeing over the last year, year and a half in the first place. So to me, again, to me, this reeks of capitulation, not only from the company um, saying no mas, but I think in terms of traders and investors, I'm looking at it right now. Stocks traded over 105 million shares. So it's more than three times normal volume at 130. That means we'll probably to do maybe you know five times normal volume at a 10-year low. You know, maybe there's a couple more days of pain, but you know, you're getting towards levels where you could actually start looking at this, I think, trade from the long side. And it may be crystal clear. It does not mean Pfizer's problems have been solved by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, sometimes it takes capitulation from everybody before you can actually start to get something constructive going the other way. Yeah, I guess the other point is that, you know, analysts have been very mixed in the stock. I think half of them rated to buy, half um, a hold. Um, you know, the price targets are, you know, in and around, uh, well, they're actually significantly higher, but like they've been moving down as estimates have been moving down as the pipeline has kind of been laid bare for what it is, you know, outside of a lot of the COVID shots and, and, and the like here. Um, you know, this is the one year chart. And it's interesting, guy, that it did gap right to that mm-hmm. COVID low. And to your point, you know, like, so it's getting a little support here. So we know what the long-term chart looks like. I guess the way I want to think about this is like, you know, you just said nothing's going to get better anytime soon, which leads me to the options market. Okay. So this is one where I don't know if I really want to buy the stock right here. If we go back and we look at that 20 year chart, okay. You see that we're at a level. It could be a very precarious level here, right? So to start buying it when the fundamentals are not fixed by any means right here, you're putting yourself in a situation where you might be throwing good money after bad, right? And so I want to think about a trade structure that gives me some time for it to play out where I'm not getting dinged right away if it just kind of settles in right here, right? With decay and the like here. So I want to think about um, a, a risk reversal. I know that name sounds familiar to most of you guys who tune in every day, but what am I doing with a risk reversal? I'm looking in this instance to buy a call and, and, and basically fund that purchase of the call by selling a downside put, right? And so here I want to look out to June expiration. So a little bit earlier today when the stock was trading at 26 15, I could buy the June 30 call, paying about 75 cents for that and funding that with the sale of one of the June 22 and a half puts at about 75 cents. So that trade structure costs me nothing. And if you look at this payout diagram, you see that big range where on June expiration, I don't have a profit and I don't have a loss. If the stock is not above 30 on June expiration, I have no gain. If the stock is not below 22 and a half, the short put strike, I don't have a loss. Now, if the stock is below 22 and a half, I am put 100 shares per one put that I am short, okay? But here's the deal. The stock's at 26.15. I have six months right now, right? And so you tell me, yeah, things get worse before they get better, right? And on a mark-to-market basis, as the stock moves closer to the short put strike, I will show losses in my account and vice versa if the stock were to move higher towards the long call strike. But this this gives me a lot of optionality right here and, and I'm not paying anything for it. And the worst case scenario, is that in six months, I'd get put to stock 
at 22 and a half. Mm -hmm. And so I just like the risk reward here, especially if you're inclined to look the other way when everyone else is selling, as your point, on a big volume day. And who the who the heck else you know knows what happens between now and then. But I just kind of think this sets up pretty decently for a risk reversal right now, guy. Well, I mean, your only risk. I mean, I mean, I'm going to use this word risk, but the only element that you really have to take into consideration here is being potentially put the stock to your point at that level, right? At 22 and a half or so, which is $4 lower than we're currently trading. Not that that matters. So that's really what you're saying to yourself. I mean, you back everything out and say, I understand that there's a chance that I get long a hundred shares of Pfizer at 22 and a half. That's what I, I totally get it. Am I going to be okay with that? Understanding there are a lot of unknowns. So that is the one thing out there that can sort of catch you off guard. The rest of it, to your point, you're in for free. So I think this is, it's a fascinating way. I I think as an exercise for the people listening or watching, this is a really interesting way to learn how options work. And then the dynamics over the course of what's going to be, you know, a number of, a number of months moving forward. So yeah. I think this is pretty cool. Yeah. The last thing I'll just say when you're short a naked put, right? Like, so if you mm-hmm. were, to, you know, let's just say in two months from now, some horrible trial comes out, some government investigation of this or whatever, and the stock is at 15 bucks. Yeah, like, there you so, go. So the point is, is like you, you basically are long that stock at 22 and a half. No different if you were actually long the stock, right? Now, the difference here is that if you were just long a call, you can only lose the purchase price of the call. Um, but I think we've set up a decent enough band here. And the last point I'll just make is that, you know, when you're short puts, it takes margin. So you have to um, be cognizant of that. Um, last thing, guy, you know, this is not a balance sheet that is particularly impaired. They have a lot of debt, $63 billion. They have $45 billion in cash, right? And so if those earnings estimates for the out year start to go higher, right? Um, you know, there, there's there's a lot of things that, that you get a lot of leverage on this balance sheet when expectations um, are really low. The last thing I'll say about management, let's just say in a month from now, okay, it's a dog of the Dow. Um, you have an activist get involved. There's people circling around the thing that maybe there's, I don't know, M&A or something like that. And all of a sudden you have this stock working back towards 30 bucks, which where it was not too long ago, right? Mm-hmm. Like just a month or two ago or something like that. At that point, you would look to cover that short put and maybe sell a higher strike call in June expiration and create a call spread. And then you have the trade on for free, but we will be sure to update this. I think we've done enough on the Pfizer risk reversal. Um, again, we're saying that we don't like the idea of buying it right here at 2615, but this option structure gives you a lot of optionality over the next few months. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons you're getting paid so much to be able to, again, we're, we're getting very granular here, but it's important, you know, you dissect these things, you know, you're getting paid a lot probably in terms of premium to sell that put because of the the degree with which the stock is lower today. So that vol blew out for you to a certain extent, which is why you're getting paid. So to your point, if the stock got its traction here and started to levitate higher, 29 and a half, 30, that 75 cents is quickly going to get cut in half or so. I mean, that's how these things work. So you could take, you can mitigate your risk entirely by potentially then buying that short put back at half the price. Yep. And then you're in the call. I mean, so anyway, that's how your mind has to think around these things. It's a fluid. You don't just put this on and watch. You know, they're going to be they're going to be elements where you can trade around this thing over the duration of the of the life of the trade. 
100. Um, all right, one last thing, Guy, before we get out of here. You highlighted this um, on our call this morning. Um, Etsy laying off um, 11% of its workforce, uh, force, uh, setting very challenging environment. Um, and, you know, it's funny. We've been talking about layoffs. It was something that coming into this year we talked a lot about. The stocks had a big run. Um, you see it's down like 4.5%, 5%. And I think last week, I think it was last Monday, a week ago Monday, we were talking about Spotify laying off mm-hmm. 17% of their workforce. Now, I don't know if they're talking about a challenging environment. They were talking about an overbuilt staff, you know what I mean? And, and the like here, but you see that gap from a week ago, um, investors liked those layoffs. Right. They don't like these. What, what gives here? Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head. Um, in terms of Spotify, I think it's the company saying, Hey, we acknowledge that we probably overhired and we're trying to get back. You know, we're trying to sort of get some semblance of order back. So the market champions at Etsy on the other side, a couple things, you know, the stock had had a pretty big run, not unlike what Spotify saw. So that's one thing, but they're also talking about the, the environment moving forward. Spotify, it wasn't necessarily calling what they saw moving forward. I think it was them just basically acknowledging that they overhired, but I got to tell you something. And you know, this, if you're one of these people that lost their job, you don't really give a shit. The reasons why the, yeah. the reality is regardless of whether it's because you hired too many people because the environment is challenging, you lost your job. And one of the reasons I wanted to highlight this is because yesterday we saw with Hasbro at the end of the day. So there have been a number, you know, a number of companies and a number of different verticals, despite what we saw with last jobs report, that continue to sort of make statements like this and we continue to see announcements like this. So that's part of the reason, again, going back to what Mel asked me, one of the reasons I'm concerned moving forward is everything you're seeing here, these continued layoffs in a number of different verticals and sectors. All right. Very last thing. The very last thing, because I actually didn't get your opinion on this the other day. OK, so Taylor's boyfriend, um, he plays football for the, the Chiefs of Kansas City. Mm-hmm. OK, yeah. so the Chiefs at the last couple minutes of that game the other day versus the Buffalo bills at home, mind you. Okay. Mm -hmm. They are down by three. All right. And they're marching down the field and Taylor's boyfriend catches a ball. I want to say on the 20, he is running full speed. He's got two guys tracking him. He just sees end zone. Now they only need a field goal, obviously to tie the game. Correct. Right. Like, so this is going in there. He takes the ball and he throws it to a receiver in stride behind him, perfect spiral. And that mm-hmm. receiver goes in and scores a touchdown. Now, sure. obviously there's a lot of controversy. That play was called back. It was beautiful. So put some context guy around that guy at six foot five running like a freight train with defenders on him, like looking like Nats, just pulling up that ball and throwing it the way he did. Like that's not something you t- see too much in football. Now, you don't. He was recruited as a quarterback at a high school, so he has those skills, number one. And he obviously, you know, some people can play the game. Some people can only play the game. They actually understand what the hell's going on around them. So there's sort of that field presence and that just understanding of what's happening. So good for him. And my sense is that's something that they've probably goofed around with in practice. But all these Chiefs fans are apoplectic that, the, you know, the the officials blew and offensive offsides, which you rarely, if ever, see. But I will tell you, you know, it's incumbent upon the wide receiver. You turn to your left if you're lined up on the left, or yeah. your right if you're lined up on the right, and you find the side judge and say, am I okay? And they will say, move back a little, you're fine. That should happen every – I don't give a shit what level you're playing. 
you're taught to do that. So the guy that didn't do that, which was a guy that Giants drafted, this is not the first time that he's impaled the Chiefs with, and this is just a mental gaffe, but he's made some physical gaffes as well. So, you know, it's not the official's fault that he lined up there. I mean, there you go. I mean, it's what are they supposed to do? You got to, you know, that's that is offsides. I'm, I'm, and even the Chiefs acknowledged that it was the right call. Yeah. Well, listen. I, the point here was good on Taylor's boyfriend because he made a heck of a play. That would have been what, like a top 10 play of the NFL yeah, season. Well, unfortunately, it was- it's still a top 10 play for the wrong reasons. And yeah. I got to tell you something. <laughs> I used to like the Chiefs. I, listen, the Chiefs, you know, the early Chiefs, a couple yeah. of Super Bowls and Hank Stram, yeah. Len Dawson smoking a cigarette on the sideline. We'll put that in the show notes. I like the Kansas City Chiefs. I like the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick's Mahomes. I loathe, they can't, they have reached Met status for me where they can't lose enough. And it's probably squarely on the very narrow shoulders of this Taylor person you continue to talk about. So, so I, it's I was embarrassing successful. what the league does with, it's really embarrassing. I was wondering how many times I would have to refer to him no, as no, Taylor's I, boyfriend. I, I got it. Before, yeah. Okay. Well, it was still an amazing play. Um, all right. So yeah. that's it for us. By um, the way, my- here's one for you. Yeah. His yeah. brother's a better football player than he is. Full stop. You ever see how he rolls up into uh, into the link, you know, for a, a game? He's wearing like blue jeans and like a hoodie sweatshirt. He looks like you know he's he's working down in the uh, you know a shift down at the docks or something. And the way Taylor's boyfriend rolls in, like he's going to uh, a red carpet yeah. sort of thing or whatever, that says all you need to know, right? I know what I, you're doing there. That's that's yeah. you know, and no more words are necessary. But there will be words tomorrow. Because tomorrow, as you know, Dan, if it's Thursday, it's butters. Yeah, it is. It ain't margarine. It's butters, bitch. And of course, we'll have (laughs) EY from SoFi joining us as well. It's going to be a fricassee on a Thursday. Uh, Thanks for indulging us, folks. We will see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. 